Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. 
I am your host, T. Love, here at From the Heart Radio and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities. I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week. From the Heart Radio, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people, people who are making a positive impact in our world. Today, our guest, David Salomon, is an educator and author who has held many administrative positions. He has written and spoken on a variety of subjects from medieval mysticism to faculty evaluation and Shakespeare to Paul Valeray. David is particularly interested in the ways technology has influenced modern life, you know, both the good and bad ways, and everything from the ways we read, learn, and remember to the ways we engage in reflection and devotional practices. He is a lover of all things Flintstones, a devotee of The Odd Couple, Northern Exposure, The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, and has always been a fan of the hapless and hopeless New York Jets. (laughs) His most recent book, The Seven Deadly Sins, How Sin Influenced the West from the Middle Ages to the Modern Era, was nominated for the 2020 Religious News Association Nonfiction Book of the Year, and it is our topic for discussion. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you for taking time to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you join us on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? I am being just well. Thank you very much, T. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Um, and I, lo- I, love I like the Flintstones, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> We're grateful for the Flintstones. <laughs> I like Pebble. We are, we are. There you go. Yeah, yes, 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 sure. <laughs> That's only because I have red hair, and I put my hair up like that when I'm going to yoga. So, you know, people say, oh, here there comes Pebbles. It's like I'm not, you know. <laughs> I have to, first I have to thank you, because not all the authors sign their books, and you signed your book to me, and that makes it extra special. Those are keepers that I let no one borrow, but tell them just go buy your own copy. So thank you for that. That that really means a lot. My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, when I – oh, I I am so grateful. I I can't believe it. I found the title of your book so intriguing, The Seven Deadly Sins, How Sin Influenced the West from the Middle Ages to the Modern Era. You certainly got my attention, and and, (laughs) while you're writing, well, it did not disappoint. It It is just such quite a book to read and think about how the differences are from then and now. But before we get into that, what was the catalyst for you to go forward and write this particular book? Yeah, th- thank you for the question. So it's, um, it's an interesting ride, you know, as it is for so many of us. I mean, I, I grew up as a, uh, a Jew in the Bronx in New York and um, was pretty devout when I was younger. And um, then sort of had a, a crisis of faith, as so many people do in my late teens and early 20s. And in college, discovered um, the study of religion, the study of the history of religion and spirituality, and pretty much got hooked. Um, ended up being a major in uh, English literature and then specializing in graduate school in medieval uh, literature and religion and culture. And um, so I've always been interested in 
religion and what makes people tick when it comes to things related to spirituality. And so one of the things that I was really intrigued by was the fact that we've got this concept called the seven deadly sins. Um, It's really entered in the popular vernacular. People talk about it all the time. Um, A lot of people don't know what the seven sins are when they talk about the seven deadly sins. And the whole notion of sin has really shifted so tremendously from um, even, I would say, 100 years ago till now, as our culture has become so much more secularized, um, it has become less a consideration of theology and more a consideration of just basic goodness and how we lead our lives on a daily basis. And I was interested in studying that and looking at where the ideas originate, which is, is part of what the book is about, and then looking at how the ideas are still applicable today. Uh, a lot of folks would say, oh, well, it's not applicable because, applicable anymore because we don't live in a, in a really religious culture. And um, the fact of the matter is that I think these ideas transcend religion. I, and I agree with you. I think that um, the only thing I disagree on is that maybe 100 years ago, I'm thinking, no, my parents, I mean, if we go back even 40 years, yeah. it, it was different then, you know, and Absolutely. it was more uh, structured and it was more, there was more to believe in. You, there were things you had to do. I was brought up Catholic and you, you yeah. had to go to Catholic classes and all this stuff. And yeah. there was more that you had to learn about these things because right now I think if I said to the man on the street, you know, what are the seven deadly sins that say, Oh, I don't know. What are the, are they seven deadly sins? Well, what are they? And then they wouldn't be able to name and, them. <laughs> and ask some Catholics what the sacraments are and they couldn't probably couldn't name them. I mean, I, I think what we've That's lost true. in many ways is not just um, the, the, the practices, but really the rituals, right. And the, yes. the rituals are what have disappeared And as time, you're right, I think as the late 20th century came to a close, and then we've had so much tumult already in the 21st, starting with 9-11 and most recently with COVID and and wars, I think that more and more people have have moved further and further away from what we have traditionally thought of as being religion and have really entered into a more spiritual realm in looking at how they individually lead their lives without reference to uh, an organized church. I think, too, that there was a four-year period, and, and I'll name names, when President Trump was in office that really exponentially shifted things forward in a way that I did not like, but a lot of people still believe yes. in. But I'll just say that put it out there. But the world we live in today is so very different from the ways of the world in the, in the Middle Ages, where it seems to me oh, – yeah. Sin was much more black and white, you know, and today our culture is just so different. It seems the sins of yore, if you will, yeah, they're not considered sins anymore. No, and and I'm glad we're on the same page when it comes to Trump. Um, (laughs) But um, (laughs) you're right. I mean, there's such a difference between just devotional practice in, let's say, the, the 14th or 15th century and today. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, you've yeah. got to remember that, we, that, that the, the fundamental shift between those two, two, two periods of time is that in the 14th and 15th centuries, most people were illiterate. They couldn't read. Um, you know, mm. I mean, we didn't have books until the end of the 15th century. And now today, right. you know, most people can read. And, you know, this was the, the catalyst for the, for the Reformation was the fact that now you didn't have to go to church and hear what the priest said about the Bible. 
you could get a copy of the Bible yourself and do your own interpretation. Um, and that really did signal a real shift in the way that people lived their devotional. But it's also a matter of, you know, the, the sins of then don't have the same weight that they do no, you're now. Right. They, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just not there. And many of the sins are looked upon as, unfortunately, minor transgressions. And when yeah. I look at everything that's out on the <laughs> Internet, everything that people have access to, they don't look to see what the source is. They rather just believe in whatever it is yes. they're reading. No, you're and right. That's so sad. How did all this happen? I, I think technology plays a huge yeah. role, but how oh, can I we reconcile too. between the two? Yeah. You know, how, how do we well, get I there? Mean, and, and I think that's the thing. There needs to be some kind of, of a reconciliation, some kind of a, a way of finding a middle path. I mean, you're right. In the Middle Ages, a lot of these ideas were black and white. You either were hmm. guilty of lust or you were not. Um, and yeah. as time has progressed, and through a lot of different philosophical movements, including the Enlightenment and then into the 20th century and, and things like existentialism, we have moved to there being a lot more areas of gray in these ideas. And some of that has to do with something which I talk about in the book, which is the, the whole concept of responsibility and taking responsibility mm-hmm. for your actions. Um, we have moved further and further away, especially in Western culture in the last hundred years from really taking full responsibility for our own actions and instead looking for various ways to shift that blame onto either other people or concepts. And, you know, the the easiest example of that is that we have introduced all these loopholes. I mean, if you want to be a purist and say, well, let's look at the 10 commandments, thou shalt not murder. Right. And now we've got, okay, thou shalt not murder. But what if someone is trying to kill me? Right. Okay, then it's okay Unless. because it's self-defense, <laughs> right? So we, we've, we've found all of these loopholes, and what we've done is we have come into a, a time when it's become difficult to separate the idea of sin as a religious theological idea from sin as a moral idea. And some of this deals with a split in, in morality and legality, right? I often talk about this with my students when we talk about ethics, all things that are legal are not necessarily ethical, and all things right. that are ethical are not necessarily legal. And so, you know, what we've done is we have turned a lot of these ideas that we have of revolving these, these seven deadly sins, and we've, we've legalized them. We've turned them into legal problems and not moral problems. And so, you know, legal problems, lawyers love to argue about and, and figure out loopholes and ways of getting out of it. When the fundamental fact is that some of these things are still just black and white. And I think, too, it, you know, when it comes to lawyers, it's whoever's a better actor wins usually. So, you know, they. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and has more money, right? You know, the, yes, the, yes, the, the yes, more money yes, you have, yes. the better lawyer you can have. Right. The be- yeah, the better actor you can hire. Sure, <laughs> you know, <sure. laughs> who can persuade the, the jury or whatever. It's true. Watch these things on TV. But, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I- take Al Pacino and, and Justice Rawl if you want to, if we're giving people away here. <laughs> I think it's so true that we've come to a point where we've been able to take things and say, okay, well, it, it may. If it's, if it's morally wrong, that's one thing. I won't get in trouble. But if it's to the law, maybe I won't do that because I could go to jail. But even then, people are right. still taking the option to see if they get caught. 
But to bring the moral back into it and just have people come from their heart and know what's right or wrong. I mean, I'm often telling people if, if it's good for the greater collective, if it's good for the Mm. whole, you're part of that, then it's good for you. But if it feels like I'm doing this for me and it's only for me, it's that's ego. That's egotistical, narcissism, whatever. That's not good for the greater whole. So you ought not to be doing it. Now, having said that, I think greed is a huge factor in everything today. In every, everything, it, trace it back, it, it all is. goes back to money. Goes right back to yeah, money. Sadly, and unfortunately, sadly yeah. And unfortunately, I'm not so sure that people today, as you said, and I said before, I don't think they're taught what sin is. And I'll even hazard a guess that most people, as we said, don't know what the seven deadly sins are. And they may not mm. even have heard of them, let alone what they encompass or or you know what they mean it seems yeah that our society is living off of a smorgasbord if you will of you know do what you want where you want yes. when you want with or to whoever you want it doesn't matter as long as you get what you want and they're giving yeah. no thought whatsoever to potential consequences so you see that too right sure oh yeah and and i think you're right i mean i, I you know in fact i think in the book i refer to new age religion as, as kind of a smorgasbord you sort of pick what you yeah. like from all the different traditions and sort of make your own little stew. Um, but I mean, yeah. let, let me list the seven sins because we keep saying, we keep talking about them. And, and, you know, the seven deadly sins are pride, envy, gluttony, greed, anger, and sloth. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, those, there are different words for some of them, like greed sometimes is referred to as avarice, anger is wrath. Sloth is sometimes mistaken to be laziness, and it really isn't. Um, and I talk about that a good deal in the book. It's not really laziness. It's more of a malaise. Um, it's something yes. which, which the originator of the idea was concerned with it, with his monks. Evagrius Ponticus was concerned about this with his monks and how they were behaving. And he felt that if they were, if they were feeling that sense of sloth, he thought that was the worst one because that was the gateway to all of the other ones. Um, the gateway sin, if you will. Um, but, the, yeah. the, you know, the way that I, I the, the definition of sin that I really use throughout the book is I follow this uh, definition more or less that the uh, psychiatrist Carl Menninger came up with in 1973. Um, so in 73, he wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And um, he looked at this, at what he thought of, as a, a sort of a, a catalog of, of sin in the 1960s and early 1970s. Um, recall 1973 is right in the middle of Watergate. And um, yeah. he, say, he defines sin this way. He said, sin is behavior that violates the moral code or the individual conscience or both. And that mm. doesn't have anything to do with organized religion. It's about you, no. how you live your life. And right. I think you're right, you know, in pointing out, I, I love the way that you, you talk about, you know, is it, is it right or is it wrong? A lot of that does have to do with how we treat each other. And that is one of the fundamental lessons that I try to come up with in the book is that ultimately what this comes down to is we have to be a little bit more considerate of who we are with each other as human beings, or we're not going to Yes. And I can't remember who said this, but someone said greed is the worst of the seven deadly sins because it leads to arrogance, self-destruction, and fear. Yes. So it's the worst of the sins because it causes arrogance when relationships are involved. 
Yeah. And I can't remember who yeah. that was. I'm sorry. I wish I could remember. Um, but, but that, that to yeah. me was interesting because it's different perspectives on what is the worst of them. The one, the, the only reason I didn't like sloth is because they're just such cute animals. <laughs> like, why does that have to be one? They're so cute. You just want to pick them up and hug them. They're not going to run away. They can't. You know? And they're actually not that lazy when, you, when it comes down to it. I mean, yes, they sleep 20 no. hours a day, but it's because they're conserving yeah. their energy. And when they, yeah, when they need to do something, slow. they do it. <laughs> yeah. It might take them a year to get down the tree, but, you know, by Georgia, they get there. They meet their goal. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. I had to bring Slow that up because I thought, oh, right? slop. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I think that people, you know, like laws, the sins encompass a lot. And there's so much more to the word pride than being proud of oneself. And I myself yes. personally feel that. Our contemporary society is going to suffer huge ramifications, more than we can imagine, simply because nobody is talking or taking time to teach the, I'll call it the if-then statements, if you will, of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do this, then the consequences are this. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we can maybe just go start to go through them, then we're going to take a little break and then we'll go back to them. Can we do that? Can we go through each one? Is that something we can do? All right. So we'll start with the first one in your book, which was pride. Yeah. And I don't think people realize what that really is. Right. I mean, because we, as you say, I mean, in our, in our culture today, we always tell people, you know, well, have pride in yourself. Be proud of yourself. That's supposed to be a good thing. But really the definition of pride as a sin is the idea of thinking that you are better than you really are. Um, and the and original others. sin, the original sin in the Garden of Eden is pride. Um, Adam and Eve yeah. eat of the fruit because they want to be like God. Right? They think they're better than they really are. And that yep. is a dangerous, um, a dangerous way to go, obviously. Uh, it also uh-huh. is, I think, you know, fundamentally related to just a lot of the, the issues that we deal with today in psychology and the fact that we ignore ourselves and really looking at ourselves and understanding who we are. I, I think that, um, and this has been around for, well, I mean, it's been around for a while, but the fact of what pride is and isn't has been in literature for a very long time because I had to yeah. look this up. I knew, it was, I knew it was a book I read by Charles Dickens, and I suspected it was Nicholas Nickleby, and I was right. And I looked it up because <laughs> his, in his book he writes, pride is one of the seven deadly sins, but it cannot be the pride of a mother in her children, for that is mm. a compound of two cardinal virtues, faith and hope. And I think that's where people think, you know, let's throw pride completely out the window because you can't be proud. It'll give you a big head, ego. But that's only if you take it to the extreme. Everything has extremes. Absolutely. And and you need to find the balance. And that's the point throughout the entire book is that all of these things which we consider sins, all these ideas of seven deadly sins are sins when when the actions are committed in excess. When they're, when they're committed in moderation, it's not a bad thing. It's in excess when it's a problem. And that's a great, right. great passage from Dickens. I mean, leave it to Dickens to, to catalog everything that we know, right? Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's, a, a, I that, love that's an excellent example. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you, you learn a lot from reading, you know, and you can learn a yeah. lot of different things from, in different areas from reading. And, and as I was reading your book, I was like, I know, I know this. I know this. Why do I know this? I have to th- and it took like three days for me to figure it out. And I was like, okay, yeah, now I got to go look it up. <laughs> so I found it. But, yeah, I think, you know, there's, I think the Internet has contributed to the sin of pride because 
There well, are so the I think the been, internet has contributed to all of them. <laughs> they have. It has. I mean, technology is not is not helping us in this in this realm. Um, and it's no. one of the things that I often come back to in the book in each of the chapters is mm-hmm. the way that technology is really doing us a disservice when it comes to all of this, mostly just because things related to technology today really connote two things. One is speed. Everything has to be fast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. second is it's a deluge of data and information. And it's very difficult to, to sift through it all and to filter it all. We're being bombarded with information and data 24-7. And that, the combination of that with the, with the speed really gets us to the point where we no longer have the time to slow down and really consider our actions and really look in the mirror and think about who we are as people. Because we're just so busy and there's so much going on that the time for reflection and the time for contemplation is oftentimes lost. I see this in my students. I mean, I've been, I've been a college professor for almost three decades, and I see how it's even changed in, in the 30 years that I've been teaching, which started before the Internet, and the Internet you know, introduced in the middle of it. And it's amazing how unreflective, if that's, if that's even an appropriate word, students are today. Um, just in mm. taking time to stop and think and digest and really think about what's going on. They just don't do it. Um, and they don't have the time to do it. Um, they don't have the time. No, to do it. I mean, you know, if people have downtime, there's, there's no such thing as downtime anymore. They're on their phone. Yes. Um, you know, everybody's got their phone out. And yeah, uh, it, that's why I don't have just, one. It's not a positive thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. Yeah. And, and I think, too, that when we're talking about, you know, downtime and, and looking at the Internet and seeing everything on there and believing what you read on the Internet, first of all, not everything on the Internet is true. You need to actually go and validate the information. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's accurate. And people just believe. Right. So there's truth and lies. And it depends on what, what feels better to you. If you like drama, you may end up going for the one that's a lie because you want to see how it progresses. And let's face it, everything on TV that's reality TV is drama, drama, drama. And it's real-time yeah. drama. And we've also seen wars on TV live in action. Uh, uh, many young people are completely desensitized to, you know, everything. It, it just doesn't yeah. matter until something happens really, really close by. And, it, and that's just, it's really sad because the world has changed so much that you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. And if they don't have the time to check things because they're under so much pressure, whether it's from school or parents telling them what they need to do, you know, they're not going to, they won't be able to sort it out as easily or as well to get to the truth. Do you find that to be true as well? Absolutely. I mean, the inability to to filter and to really evaluate um, because again, everything's just happening too damn fast. Yeah. Um, how could you do that? Yep. I don't have time to do that because I've got to get on to yeah. the next thing. Including writing. They're not teaching kids to write in school. I don't know how they're learning to sign their names to anything, but I've gotten emails in the past that show me a little, uh, yeah. you know, like letters, letters in a row, you know, like I only yeah. know like LOL and a couple of others. And I had to write back to the person and say, could you please put this in English? I do not understand this emoji language. And they laughed at me and said, it's yeah. not emoji language. I said, whatever it is, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to respond yeah, speaking is, my language, writing please. Is taking quite, 
writing, writing has taken quite a beating in the uh, in the computer age. That's for sure. It, it really it has, and, has. It, and it, it's. I mean, as somebody who's been teaching writing since since the early '80s, it's uh, it's really rough. It's got to drive and you it's, crazy, it's, it's, doesn't it? Drive you crazy? It does. It does. <laughs> I mean, part of it is that 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 students don't read, right? I mean, there's no and and I talk about this in 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 another book that I've written on on a medieval Bible called the Glossa Ordinaria. Talk about reading. Um, you know, students today can't do sustained reading. Um, you know, you mentioned no. Nichols, Nichols Nickleby. You give that to a student today, they'll, they'll look at you like you have four heads. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, Nicholas Nickleby <laughs> must be a thousand pages long. You expect me to read this? Um, they can't do it. They can't read anything that is more than a few pages long because we live in a time of what a, a, a psychologist named Linda Stone calls continuous partial attention. Um, and that's it, it's just we don't have any sustained ability anymore to focus on any one thing because there's too much coming at us. And so she calls a continuous partial attention where we, we pay partial attention to everything. So nothing really gets our full attention. And as a result, there's no real sustained um, continued reading and digestion of that. I mean, the only way that I improved my writing as I've gone through my life is by reading and reading. Others. Yes. Um, and I tell yes. my students, I still do that today. I'll read something and, and I'll see, you know, somebody has written a sentence in an unusual way, and I'll, re, I'll, I'll go back and reread it. I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting way to put that. I would have never thought about uh-huh. writing it that way. Um, yep. And, and that we're not getting it because the students don't do sustained reading. Everything comes in blips. Yes, in sound bites, and they don't build their vocabulary. Yes. So when I'm talking to people, sometimes they'll say, wait, what's that word? And I'll say the word, and yeah. they'll say, what, what is that word? I'll say, look it up. Or I'll answer yeah. a question, I'll say something, and somebody will say, how did you know that? I'll say, I went to school. And they'll look at me and say, so <laughs> did I. And I'll say, I paid attention. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a difference. I, you know, everything has to be a sound bite. It's really hard sometimes to send out an email that is a marketing type thing because they'll only read, you know, like 10 words. You've oh, got to yeah. put it all in 10 yeah. words. If you don't put it in 10 words, yeah. you're in trouble. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't image. do that. That's Right. Yes. Put it in an image. Yeah. And, you know, because if, if there's a lot of text, nobody reads it. Um, no. No, I and know. And they'll call and, and, and ask I mean, questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time. I can tell you, even from yep. colleagues. Um, you know, yep. I, I got a colleague today who, who sent me an email and, and questioned something. And I said, and I told her what the answer was, but, uh, you know, it was in the original email that I sent. Yes. But you clearly didn't Well, you're read. nicer than I am because um, I'll say, did you read the email? <laughs> read the email. Read, read. I have all these books. My husband and I have a library, and it's just full, filled with books, filled with books, all these books, right? And people will come in and say, wow, did you read all these books? No. Yep. When did you have time? Okay. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, you read on a plane, you read when you're on vacation, you read outside in the summer, you take, you know, you yeah. make the time to do it. It's healthier for you and you learn a lot. And I don't know, but that, so that's, you know, that, that's a little off track, but that's, you know, that's what's no, happening in the world I, I, today. I, me and my wife are quite, are very similar. So, um, but, uh, but I, I can tell you where this started and l- let me, let me tell you a, a quick story here. Cause I know we need to take a break. Um, so there's an essay that was written by Vannevar Bush in 1945, famous essay. It's called As We May Think. Um, Vannevar Bush was an engineer. Um, this is right after World War II. And he wrote this 
very famous essay. Um, it was published in Atlantic Monthly and then reprinted in Life magazine. So it wasn't an essay that was written for, for an academic audience necessarily. And in this right. essay, he basically predicts the Internet. Um, he talks about this machine that he called a MEMEX, M-E-M-E-X, and it's basically a desktop computer. And his idea was that that computer would give you access to basically all of human knowledge, including everything that you'd ever read. It would all be in there, and you'd be able to index it and, and bring it up whenever you needed to know something. The reason for that, he said, was it was going to free human beings up to do the kind of higher-level thinking that we were supposed yeah. to be doing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and we've got that now, and people aren't doing that higher-level thinking. They're binge-watching on Netflix, right? Right. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it happened. It's just the, the benefit that we were supposed to reap from it hasn't come. Yeah. And, you know, and now it's called Alexa. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She's not allowed in my house, by the way. I will not have her here. I would throw her out the window and drive my car over her. No, 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 no. (laughs) I do not want to be able to, I don't want something talking to me. Like, I can't take that. Oh, my goodness. But you're right. We do need to take a break. So right now it's time for what we call our Soji Share. We're sharing stories about kids from all over this planet who are not just filled with hope, but they're motivated. They are creative. They're focused and passionate. And they want to make a difference in this world. So our goal at SojiKids.org is to spread joy, hence our name Soji, which is an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week, our Soji share is a a boy named Jalen Arnold. At the age of eight, he changed the world by advocating for bullying prevention. He was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, and Asperger's syndrome. And because of those differences, he was oftentimes bullied by other students at his school. Now, he knew his disabilities made him an easy target. He knew he wasn't the only one being bullied. And he also knew he could stand up for other children who are bullied because they, too, are different. Bullies don't like different. So Jalen decided that he had to fight back. And rather than using, you know, name-calling or fists, he opted to fight back with words and his own experiences. So he started the Jalen's Challenge Foundation, which is a nonprofit charitable organization dedicated to promoting awareness and prevention of bullying through education and community service. So he has been named a World of Children Award honoree for his work as anti-bullying advocate, He's the only American to have ever received the Princess Diana Legacy Award for Philanthropy, and he's also the recipient of the TLC Give a Little Award. This kid's just amazing because he's helping so many kids across this country with this program. So this is the good stuff that's happening in our world, and this is what we need to focus on. Our kids are coming up with these ideas on their own. you know. And we just want to bring it to you every week so that you know there are good things happening You don't have to just sit and listen to the news. There are positive, impactful things that are life-changing, and they're happening from little people. I mean, he was eight years old when he started all this. So that's just one example of how kids are making our world better and more joyful, not just for themselves, but for everybody, for all of us. You know, they have creative minds, and they're coming up and doing these things. So, you know, think about that when you're trying to figure out how life is hard and rough and, and, and what it is you can do. 
Don't think of yourself. Think of somebody else. These children are starting things that are absolutely unique in their approach and serve as an inspiration for everyone. So kudos to this week's Soji Share, Jalen Arnold. Okay, so we're back with David Solomon, author of The Seven Deadly Sins, How Sin Influenced the West from the Middle Ages to the Modern Era. You can learn more about David by visiting his website, davidsolomon.com. That's D-A-V-I-D-S as in Sam, A-L-O, M as in Mary, O, N as in Nancy, dot com. Okay, so I believe we exhausted pride, David. We probably should move on to the next one, (laughs) which would be lust, correct? Lust, yes, everyone's favorite. Um, (laughs) So so lust is an interesting one, right? Um, And it's really excessive desire. Um, And so in the chapter, I I talk not only about where this comes from in the the early church, um, you know, the the initial example being the the great um, third century scholar origin of Alexandria, who uh, misread the passage in Matthew about eunuchs getting to the kingdom of heaven and decided he'd have himself castrated. Um, and then later on realized that uh, that was a mistake. Um, yeah. That really what that passage was talking about was more metaphorical than literal. Um, but there's a mm-hmm. lot about renunciation, right, in our culture and about withholding those kinds of, of feelings and, um, and the dangers of letting that overtake you. Uh, it's interesting that uh, that Jimmy Carter, of course, who is currently in hospice, and good thoughts to him and his family. Yes. Um, that Jimmy Carter, and when he was running for president, famously gave an interview to Playboy magazine and told them that mm-hmm. he had lusted in his heart after other women, and people weren't bananas. Um, he never yeah. said he did anything about it, um, and he claimed that his his poll numbers went down something like fifteen percent after that interview uh, because wow. people's reactions to what he had said. And again, he, he never said he did anything about it. He said he had feelings. Um, and so, we, we, you know, lust is something which really pervades our society, obviously. It, 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 it's woven through advertising. You know, here we go back to talking about money again. Um, and the connection between lust and, and, and greed is, is quite clear in, in the contemporary world. You know, what's interesting is that was – Jimmy Carter was like around 1976, right? Yeah. So 40 years later, in 2016, we elected a president who was full of lust in exactly. every possible way. I mean, exactly. how sick in the head and, is that? <laughs> well, and I, I even mentioned that in, in, in the book at the, at the end of the chapter yeah. on lust and talk about the, the fact that, you know, here we were, we, we, we elected a president then who admitted that he had done these things um, and yep. actually done them. Um, whereas right. Carter said that his feelings were intentions in his heart. And Trump admits to having acted on those feelings. And he was elected so president. Just in, in 40 years, the change, the shift in what is acceptable and what is not is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and sad. Sad. Right. For, oh, for those very of us sad. Who and think scary. a certain way. So, yeah. yeah. And oh, scary as well. Because yeah. you don't know yeah. what's coming down the pike, you know? Who, who else is looking for yeah. a different country to live in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am. You know, just yeah. in case. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I hear you. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the next one would be anger, and that is a huge one yes. because I, I, I think you said, I think it was in your book, something I read said anger is just um, one letter away from danger. Yeah, that was Eleanor Roosevelt actually said that. I wish I could take credit okay. for saying that. She said anger is one letter short of danger. 
Um, yep. And so, yeah, anger is, is one of those interesting ones because when you look at anger in the Bible, um, anger in the Old Testament is throughout. In fact, the, probably the angriest character in the Old Testament is God. Um, and then yeah. if you shift to the New Testament, the examples of anger are, are much fewer. Um, you know, people like to point to, to Jesus overturning the tables in the temple as being a, an example of anger. But that really falls more under the category of righteous indignation than it does of anger. Mm. Um, but I, I think that a lot of the feelings of anger in the, in the modern world, in our world, again, have been precipitated by um, technology um, and looking at just the speed of modern life. And I, I, I talk about even things like, you know, looking at the opening scene of Fritz Lang's Metropolis, the 1926 science fiction film where the workers are presented like, like prisoners marching to elevators that transport them underground to operate machinery that runs the city. Um, they've mm. basically become automatons. Um, and that continued then on later on, and it's, it's lampooned in, in a fantastic scene in Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. And then again, everybody we, of a certain age grew up watching I Love Lucy and remembers the famous candy episode where they have to wrap candy on a conveyor belt and the candies just keep coming through faster and faster. And um, it looks like they're doing it because they're hiding it all. And the forewoman comes in at the end of it and, and she yells out, speed it up. Um, you know, they just need to go faster and faster. Um, and I think that, that that sense that life is moving so fast is contributing to things like road rage and just our everyday frustration which we can't, yes. we can't even point to what it is that we're frustrated with. It's just a general feeling. You know, I really thought when we went into lockdown, before we knew how long lockdown would be through COVID, mm. as it progressed, I thought this is a good time for people because I remember looking at the satellite pictures of the Earth, okay? So I'm looking at the Earth from space. Yeah. And I see that in February, the Earth was a mess. And in March, you know, well, not quite as much. By the time May rolled around, she cleaned herself up really well. Nobody was driving. Nobody was, there were no emissions coming from buildings yeah. or anything. And I thought maybe this is what we need to, you know, recalibrate and everybody will get a sense yeah. of what, what life really is about, what, what is important because we're seeing so much go on around us that's horrifying and we can't control it, but there are things we can control. And, you know, I was wrong. I was really yeah. wrong. I'm thinking, I thought that would have been the good that came out of it. And I look at it now and I think, what good actually did come out of this? Because yeah. we're more divisive well, than ever. There's more violence. It's horrible. Yeah. I hope, too, that that was going to be a reset button. And um, yeah. I really thought it would be. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it turned out to be. Um, but, you know, talking about those, those images from space of, of the world during, during the COVID lockdown, they really are quite amazing. And um, mm -hmm. you know, for those of you who, who want to see it, you can go online and, and, you know, ask Uncle Google, and I'm sure he'll help you find them. Um, but yeah. if, you, if you've not seen it, there's a fantastic documentary that David Attenborough did called The Year Earth Changed, um, which mm -hmm. is a, a film that was a documentary about the ways that animals reacted to the world during lockdown. Um, and it shows these empty cities where wildlife came down into the city looking around, wondering where the hell did everybody go? 
Um, it's yeah. a really fantastic film. I, I highly recommend it. Um, I will look at that. Earth, Year Earth Changed. I will look at that because I saw it personally. We live in an area where there's a lot of animals, bears and, and mountain lions. And, you know, you see them every once in a while. There were more. And they were coming closer yeah. and closer to the house because nobody was going outside unless it was warm enough. Right. Out. You know, you weren't going anywhere. There wasn't a lot of activity. And if you sat outside, it was very quiet because nobody was going anywhere. So yeah. I yeah. saw it firsthand and it was actually quite beautiful. I loved it. I yeah. really did. No, you'll love I loved film, seeing all that. The, the, film yeah. is, the film is gorgeous. It really is. Yeah, I hope my husband's listening. You write that down and, and check it out. The year, the year earth the changed. earth changed. Google yeah. it and let's streamline that. <laughs> <laughs> Call out to him. Okay, the next one is gluttony. That that yeah, one covers gluttony. a lot because people think that's just eating. It's not. It's gluttony of it's everything. It's not just about well, food, all of though, this is. really. Yeah. It, 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 gluttony is really just excessive intake of anything. And so in the chapter, I talk not just about excessive intake of food, which certainly we're, we're guilty of, and American culture in particular, um, you know, I trace mm-hmm. in the chapter the fact that our dinner plate size has grown um, just over the last 50 years. The size of the American refrigerator has tripled from the time that it was invented in, in the early 20th century to now. Uh, you can't buy a refrigerator that's big enough these days in America. And the fact well, that, and of course, now, we've got an ongoing... Not- yeah, and now we have dishwashers that you have to buy the – you have to make sure it's the taller dishwasher to fit the dinner plates. To fit the dishes, so that's right, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the, yeah. the, the ongoing issues with obesity and, you know, a mm. famous case in the early 2000s when a, a father sued McDonald's because his two daughters had, had grown obese because they were eating McDonald's every day. Uh, luckily, well, who was the, feeding the, them? the judge threw <laughs> – well, the ju- exactly. Luckily, the judge threw it out and said, you know, what about yeah. responsibility? Um, yeah. Which I was, I was grateful that he did that. Um, but, yeah. you know, it goes on from that then to not just talk about food, but again, to talk about this constant just bombardment of information and data and input that we have to deal with. Um, you know, if you remember the, the, the film Short Circuit from the 1980s with the robot Johnny Five, and Johnny Five's whole thing was that he needed more input because that's how he learned. And so he constantly mm. would say, more input, more input. And that's kind of where we're at. We're, 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 we're bombarded with information and data. And the problem is, and this goes back to really the, the essay that I mentioned by Vannevar Bush, and my whole attitude and philosophy about modern education is it's not just about the consumption of information. It's what you do with that information. It has to be turned into knowledge and understanding. That's a very personal process, which takes time and, again, takes reflection and thought. And because we're moving so damn fast, we don't have a time to do it. No, and sometimes because we're moving so fast, we do things that we can't change. You know, you can't unring a bell, you know. And I just saw an article the other day about um, a young man who – has autism. I do not know the level of his autism. There are various levels of autism. I do not know the level of his, but he was attending a regular school. So that says something right there. He brought a Valentine Mm -hmm. to school and he walked up to a girl and asked her if she would be his Valentine. And she said, no, in a very polite way, you know, she was sorry she couldn't be his Valentine for whatever reason. And all of a sudden the kid goes home 
and tells the mom. And the mom is online everywhere, apparently, telling people the girl mm. was wrong. She should have done. And I thought, yeah. what about the girl? What about her boundaries and who she's allowed to say yes or no to? Is anybody thinking right. about the girl? Because why are you as a parent not taking responsibility for saying to the child, yeah. you know, sometimes you get rejected. It's going to hurt, right. but you'll be okay. What is wrong with the parents? They're taking all this information that you're talking about. People are taking in more and more, and they're spewing mm-hmm. it out in a way that is, is hurtful to another, to another child. It was a mom against another child. I, I couldn't, yeah. I, I mean, my hair was standing on end. I was just like, how yeah. can you do this to a child? So that to well, me falls also, under gluttony as live, well. Though, we also live, though, in an incredibly reactive world, right? I mean, everything right. is reactive. We, not, not, and again, you know, not to beat a drum, but the fact of the matter is if we were to slow down and think about what we're doing and reflect yes. a little bit before we do things and before we take an action, a lot of the times I think we wouldn't, we wouldn't do those things. You know, I mean, it, yeah. as you say, I mean, you know, and, and the Internet's a miserable place because you can't take it back, right? Right. Um, it's not like you, you can't can just delete it and it's gone. Nope. You know, exactly. Nope. I mean, it's out there. Um, yep. So, yeah, that definitely is, is a problem. Yeah, and that's um, gluttony on the other side of it, where you're taking so much in, now yeah. you're just spewing it out and giving it to other people and hurting someone who's so much younger than you. Shame on you, Mom. Shame on you. Yeah. I, I really feel yeah. like she's, she's in the wrong, and she should have talked to her child. But parents need to take more responsibility for how they're allowing their children to do things so that they know and prepare them for the world that is cruel and harsh but could be better if they were prepared. It's, it's about teaching yeah. the kids how to struggle well. You know, that's uh, right. That's anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. Struggle okay, well then, is a good way to put it. I mean, we, we talk a lot about yeah. resilience, right? Yes. Yeah. They have to be resilient. They have to learn self-efficacy. Yeah. They have to be able to struggle well because you're going to struggle. You might as well know how to learn to do it to the best of your ability. It's not going to be fun, but you'll get through a lot better. You'll be able to handle exactly. it. So, yeah. Okay. So the next one is avarice or greed. Right. For those who avarice is greed, right? So we all remember greed is good. Right, Gordon Gecko in the, <laughs> the, the film in Wall Street from 1987. Yeah, um, great. It's a classic example. I mean, of course, the problem with it is that it doesn't work out in the end um, for either, either the Charlie Sheen character or the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the um, Michael Douglas character. Um, both of them right. end up falling at the end. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because this has been a problem in America for a long time. Um, I mean, even even Alex de Tocqueville in, in, in his book, Democracy in America, which was published in 1838, he thought that Americans were almost sad in their pleasures because they never stopped thinking about the goods they don't possess. That's almost well, 200 that's years true. ago. Um, yeah. You know, and so it's always, you know, what, what else can I have that I don't have? Um, you know, I, I need more. I need the better this. I need the bigger that. And it's really rebounded on us now because, um, as, as, I, as I discussed in the chapter, you look at things today like problems with people who are hoarders and the whole movement towards um, you know, the Marie Kondo movement of, of, of tidying up, right, the, the Con Marie movement. Of, of kind of getting rid of things that, as she says, don't, cause, don't spark joy. Um, and we've even got companies now which are making money off of taking your junk away, right? 1-800-JUNK, yes. 
Call them up and they'll yep. come and they'll take away whatever you need. Um, because we have so much stuff, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to put it. And a lot of this comes down to the idea that what we are constantly driven to do because of the way that our culture is built is to desire for more and more and more. And it, it, it's, it's just a constant problem. Um, you know, even, even Donald Trump, you know, you're my favorite person in the world, um, <laughs> described himself when he was running for president as a very, very greedy person. Um, he called oh, himself gosh. a very, very greedy person. Um, and then, you know, later on, he's the one who, who referred to Leona Helmsley when she was uh, yeah. sentenced to 16 years in prison for tax evasion. He called her a truly evil human being. Um, <laughs> he said she was guilty of much more than greed. Um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a problem. It's a problem it for is. us today because, you know, as I say at the end of the chapter, I don't think anyone would disagree that greed is a bad thing. But the more difficult issue for us today is the role of honestly gotten wealth in the morality of humanity. And so what we've seen is something like the, um, the, the, the project that was founded by Warren Buffett where these philanthropists have vowed to give away most of their fortunes. Um, yeah. And they have. They've given away billions of dollars for philanthropic yep. funds and philanthropic reasons, yep. which is terrific. You know, more mm-hmm. people should do it. But by the same token, we've got billionaires and millionaires in this country more than ever before who are unwilling to pay their fair share of taxes and balk right. when that comes to a call. And, of course, those taxes are mostly going to go to fund social programs and to help other people. You know, you right. talk about, you know, talking in the break about that wonderful young man. I mean, you know, to fund things like that. Yep. Yep, and I think that, you know, in the case of Mr. Trump, that he was looking in a mirror. I mean, you know what you see, right? So you can speak to yes. it. So what he saw in her, he was seeing it was a reflection of what he saw in himself. He just didn't get caught. That's the difference. You know, that's oh, always yeah. the difference is did yeah. you get caught or not? Um, gosh. Okay, that's so the next his, one is envy. That's his whole life, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, and the next one is envy, and I love this because envy. in your, your book – um, you have a quote before each chapter, and this yes. is hatred is active and envy passive dislike. There is but one step from envy to hate. I read that and I thought, yeah, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, I mean I, it is. <laughs> I, opened, I, I opened this chapter by telling the story about about my brother who is uh, three years younger than I am, and when we were children, he was three and I was six. And uh, in a fit of envy for what I thought I, I think I perceived as, as favorable attention being given to him, I hit him in the head with mm-hmm. a block. Um, yeah. it, it was, as I say in the chapter, not my finest moment. Um, and his oh. head was bleeding, and I think he required about six stitches. But until we were both well into our 30s, our mother still believed the story that, quote, the block fell off the shelf and hit him in the head. Um, and the point of telling the story is that I, I didn't receive any punishment. Um, you know, oh. And we think oftentimes <laughs> yeah. about the quintessential story of envy in our culture of being Cain and Abel, two brothers, right, yeah. and one who kills the other mm-hmm. because he's envious of what he is garnered in, in the favors from God. Um, but this is a, a, a problem, as you mentioned early on, which in our contemporary world is so just paramount 
because of social media. Um, you know, yes. if we look at the, all of the social media that's out there now, all of it, almost all of it, is is promulgated on ideas of envy. Snapchat and Instagram mm-hmm. and TikTok, all of these things that especially younger people are using on a daily basis, only encourage you to see what other people are doing and essentially envy them. Um, whether that's because mm-hmm. you want to be like them or you want what they have, um, it, it, it's a it's a real ongoing problem. And we know now from from studies that it's responsible for an incredible increase in teenage depression, especially amongst girls. And suicide. And suicide, absolutely. And, and to, which absolutely. is the number one, you know, cause of death among youth. Uh, it is it is huge. Um, yes, you isn't know, that frightening? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It absolutely is. It's scary. You know, you got uh, yeah, it's just, but they, they see all this stuff and people would say to me, why aren't you on Facebook? And I'd say, oh, fake book? And they'd go, what? And I'd be like, fake book? Yeah. It's not real, you know. I mean, everybody's <laughs> just making up stuff, showing the nicest part of their life. Everybody's yeah. got problems. Right. They're just not airing that. That you can see That's on TV right. with the housewives of wherever. Go ahead and watch those shows. They're airing all their dirty laundry, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, no place true. you can that's go where there's not true. reality. It's true. Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah. And then the final yeah. one is is my favorite because it's a little animal I like, sloth. So it's not my favorite. <laughs> I just thought I was like, oh, sloth, and I'm I'm thinking you should have a picture of a little sloth there. That would be cute. <laughs> well, but I started writing the chapter on sloth. I had multiple people who were sending me pictures. I've got a whole library of pictures <laughs> of sloths that people sent me and said, oh yes. Um, and so what, I nobody sent you a picture of a state trooper. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody sent you a picture of a state trooper pulling you over, no, pulling no. your dad over for driving too slow. <laughs> I love yes, that. Yes, I do tell that story in the chapter yes. um, about him driving too slowly on the on the New, on the New York Thruway and being pulled over, um, which was pretty pretty uh, amusing, especially as a child. I wondered, you know, you can get a ticket for going too slow. How could that be? Yeah, seriously, that's just weird. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, and, and and one of the things that I talk about in, in the chapter is is the idea that this isn't really about laziness, as I say, as much as it is about malaise. It's what it's what the French call ennui. It's kind of this mm-hmm. spiritual malaise that we're talking about. Um, and and for those who are familiar with it, and I'm sure, I'm sure you are, T, because you're a reader, um, in Walker Percy's The Movie Goer, um, which uh, the 1962 National Book Award winning novel. Terrific book. Um, the main character, Bing Spilling, Bowling, is uh, is guilty of a laziness that's in need of a spiritual salvation. Um, he's the embodiment mm-hmm. of Catholic guilt in the novel, and he's only able to escape his laziness by going to the movies. Um, he escapes that way, um, and it, it's interesting the way that people look for an escape from that kind of of, of daily malaise. Um, you know, some people, it is the housewives of whatever, um, and watching right. that on TV. Uh, you know, it, 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 I think people are looking for a kind of a, a, a way of, of, of calming that feeling because it's a, it's a terrible feeling. I mean, you know, it, we can talk about depression. It is related right. to depression. Um, but, yep. you know, the, the, the Jungian psychologist James Hillman actually calls it the heavy sloth of depression, the drying despair of melancholy. It's more yes. than depression. It's something that's in your soul. Yeah, and, and that, that's a hard one for a lot of people because, to me, that is almost like 
It, not almost like, I'm just going to say it. That is a mental health issue. It is. It is. And that it needs, it needs, it needs real attention because that's not something that's easily um, something you can get out of on your own. You absolutely need help with that. So that one, yeah. I understand it's a sin and I'm like, but that's, that's one of the ones that that could actually be something that maybe, you know, it's one thing to, to just be sloth like like a sloth <laughs> like like the animal and that which would be laziness but it's another to have that deep depression and melancholy that is you're in so much despair you, you you're looking up to see bottom you can't even figure yeah. out how to you know get into the container to get out of the container so yeah that one that one I, I always have an issue with it's like oh that's right on the yeah. verge there I think that's something that you know yeah. needs a little bit more treatment yeah but yeah, your book, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much in it for people to look at and realize that, you know, it's sin is not what it once was, and maybe it shouldn't be. But I think the moral factors of it should still play a larger role than they have been playing in the past. I'll just even go back 20 years, which isn't that long. Mm. But, uh, you know, you see in the past 20 years a big difference in how our society has changed and not all the time for the better – and with a lot of, oh, well, that's okay for this one, but not that one. And, you know, I, I just see it all the time. I think, why is, why is this happening and it's being allowed to happen when morally it mm. feels wrong? I don't know. I don't know. What's of, the answer? A lot, of du- a, lot of double, a lot of double standards and a lot of, uh-huh. um, a lot of misunderstanding of, of, of what the solution is. And, of course, we live in a, in a culture in which we always look for quick fixes. Right, we want something yeah. to, to to fix this and, and easy, you know, take this pill and you'll feel better. Um, and the truth of the matter is that the dealing with most of these issues just requires self-examination. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of self-reflection and, and self-study that Ignatius Loyola asked for in his spiritual exercises, where you say, just take time and really closely examine who you are and why you're doing the things that you do. Um, and it, it, there's a real lack of that in our in our culture, and it's 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 really shameful, and it's not doing us any any good. Um, I, I think people would be so much more helped if they would take some time to really reflect on who they are. Um, you know, I, t- I teach a course on on Jungian archetypes, and we do a lot with Carl Jung's idea of the self and thinking about you know how do you do how do you come to that kind of individuation, which is what he calls it, where you Mm -hmm. understand better who you are as a human being. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that's really hard work to do. And we live in a culture where people don't want to do that hard work. They want the easy pill. Yes. Yeah. Everybody wants to, you know, there's a magic bullet somewhere. I got to find it. But one thing I am seeing, and, and there's a hope. I mean, I really am an optimist. I have hope that this will all shift for the better. We'll get through this horror because and come out the other side better off for it. I believe that in, in my heart. I really do. I think I have seen over the past, I'll say, oh, I've been doing yoga forever, but I'll say in the past 10 years, an increase in the number of people who go to yoga classes and stay for the meditations mm-hmm. and an, even mm-hmm. a bigger increase in the number of men who are actually high level jobs and hard jobs, attorneys and doctors coming into a yoga class that I've never seen before. 
in, mm. they're coming more in droves and they understand that there's something to this. There's something to the downtime yeah. because what people don't understand is when you take that downtime, you actually have more time because now you're not exactly. as reactionary and you're not thinking, obsessing, you're making well-informed decisions because you're gathering the information you need to make those in, in, informed decisions and you're able to do them more quickly instead of, yeah. you know, just, and they're not, and they're not spending time. I had a woman who I had to train to get off of her, uh, all of her gadgets because at work, she couldn't get mm. her job done. And she told me, I, I said, okay, well, how long do you spend, you know, on each thing? And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, the next two weeks, figure it out, write it down. And she came in and I said, how long was it? And she said, oh, two and a half hours. And I said, oh, two and a half hours. I guess that's not, that's not bad a week. And she said, no, that's a day. And I looked at her that's, and I said, two yeah. and a half hours a day. And she said, yeah, I said, you're working for this man until Thursday at noon and the rest of the week, he's paying you just to sit there and look at your stuff online, Pinterest, Instagram. I know the words. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they are. I don't go on. And mm -hmm. she said, well, I said, you're stealing from him. And she said, I'm not a thief. I said, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you're a thief. Yeah, I, would, yeah. I would fire you. And, you know, yeah. people, when they get, a, when she, when I finally got her off of that, she was much better off. She got a raise and a promotion and, and her life is better mm. now. Once they start to see the results, and I think that that's coming. Do you believe and have hope that that is, that we will come out better than we are now? I, I, I hope so. But I mean, T, you know, you're, you're an optimist and that's why you've got a radio show and I'm a, 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 a pessimistic Bronx Jew and that's why I'm sitting here teaching, you know, at a college. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I, I would hope that, that maybe, you know, those, those men that you're talking about and, and women who are coming to yoga are, not, are also realizing that yoga isn't just about exercise, but it is a philosophy. Oh, right? yes. Um, yes. And, and yes. getting a little bit of that, right, and, and, because that's what really helps there. Yes, if you go to the right class, you will get that. If you go to a class that's just for, you can tell yeah. when you're in a yoga class that's just for, I know yes. when I'm going yes. to this woman that, you know, I'm, I got to go just to do exercise, and I'm this one I'm going to because I want the whole thing. You know, there's a difference, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We yeah. are almost out of time, David. I can't believe the hour flew. Yeah. But before we go, <laughs> would you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about you, your work, and where they may purchase sure. your book, The Seven Deadly Sins? Absolutely. So my, my website is David A. Solomon. And it's S-A-L-O-M-O-N, not like the king. I aspire to that, but I have just an A in the first letter. <laughs> so it's davidasolomon.com. And you can find uh, all my publications, the links to my blog, uh, my speaking engagements, my consulting. Um, all the work that I do is up on that, uh, that website. And if uh, folks want to purchase the book and, uh, and contact me, I'm, I'm always happy to, to sign and, and, and send it to you. Well, I am going to apologize because I gave out the wrong email address, uh, uh, website address <laughs> okay. because it didn't have the A in it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it's David A S A L O M O N. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So forget what I said. Yeah. Listen to him. He knows better. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what's right, not me. <laughs> oh my goodness! I can't tell you how much pleasure it's been to have you on the show. This was such an interesting topic. I really, really enjoyed it, and it's been so enlightening to to speak with you about it. Thank you so very much for being here. Well, T, I really enjoyed the time with you and, and our discussion. Great. Thank you. And just hang on the line. I'll be with you in just a second. Sure. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do 
to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So please share the good news by spending the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need 100%. We're run solely by volunteers, so there's no salaries, stipends, or compensation to anyone. Every penny goes toward underprivileged kids, and right now we're helping subsidize the cost of mental health sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much-needed therapy. Please follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. While you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. And if you'd like to visit the website where you can learn more about Soji Huggles, go to SojiKids, S-O-J-I-K-I-D-S dot org. At Soji Huggles, we're investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. We leave you with our From the Heart Radio's thought for this week. It is from Igor Stravinsky. Sins cannot be undone, only forgiven. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.